Thank you, Chipper. It's good to be with all of you. Um, yeah, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach, to do this again. Um, I think, uh, I was thinking about it this morning, it's actually good that this is on Daylight Savings Weekend because if anyone snoozes off during it, I can just say, yeah, it, was this, it was a time change that affected that. It wasn't my preaching, so. Um, but yeah, hopefully, no promises, but we'll uh, make, it, make it worthwhile. Uh, if you are able to stand physically, will you stand for the reading of God's word? Scripture passage this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to good give good give give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is uh, what we've been saying is really um, probably one of the most famous spots of Jesus' teachings in his ministry all throughout the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Sermon on the Mount is, uh, you know, by far probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous. And uh, we've going through these teachings that Jesus has uh, been laying out for his disciples. If you recall, he calls his disciples to um, a mountaintop, um, his core 12 that he chose, but then a broader uh, collection of disciples. And he then proceeds to teach them uh, these a variety of teachings on essentially what we've been saying, how do you live well as a Christian? What does it mean to live as a Christian is very much the focus of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's connected to our theme broadly throughout this year, if you've been with us, has been transformation. So in light of the theme being transformation, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount as a way to see what, what does it look like to live the Christian life and live in a way that Jesus has called us to. And, you know, how is that connected to the way that we change? What, what are we changing towards, I guess you could say? Uh, so we get to this passage in Matthew 7, uh, where Jesus, um, as you can see, is commanding, actually, his disciples um, and teaching them about how they go to God with requests, how they petition to God with requests. Um, and I think if we look at this passage, the famous Ask, Seek, and Knock uh, trilogy there, I think we can learn three things uh, this morning that I want to go into together. First is we learn about the privilege of asking, the privilege that we have a privilege that we've been given to ask. We're going to learn about some problems with asking. There are some problems um, that arise when it comes to when we think about asking and petitioning things towards, towards God, towards the Lord. And thirdly, how to overcome those problems. So uh, the privilege that we have for asking, what are some of the problems associated with asking, seeking, and knocking, and then what are the resources we have to overcome those? Does, does scripture, does Jesus teach us, show us um, how we can ask more correctly in the way that he's calling us to do? So let's look at that first point, um, the privilege we have in asking. So this is the first thing we see here pretty immediately. You see in verse 7, 
on the text. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention, but there are some blue Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you if you want to pull that out. Um, you see that Jesus uh, specifically commands his disciples to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And there's a, the privilege here that we have, I think, can be categorized by a few things. The first thing we see is, is the certainty of uh, the way in which we're able to ask. So Jesus is pretty clear here to say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Now we're going to get into a little bit, you know, does that mean we're going to get everything that we ask for? Probably not. Uh, just a little spoiler alert throughout the rest of the sermon. But Jesus is at least showing here that there is access that's been made available um, as a Christian, if you are a Christian, to God. And there's a certainty behind this kind of access that in some way, the petitions that you bring to God, the things that you ask for, the um, things that you are seeking for from him uh, will, to a degree, be carried out, that there is a promise there of, of some response. There's not, uh, uh, you know, he's not saying, ask and it may be given to you, or seek and sometimes you will find, but there's, there's, a, there's a solid certainty. So we have a certainty in our request. That's the first thing we notice. The second thing we notice about that makes this kind of a privilege um, is really this, this logic Jesus uses when he says in verse 9, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so that how much more verbiage, uh, initially we see there, um, really uh, Jesus is trying to tell us um, to think. Think about your earthly fathers and how much uh, they desire to bless you with good things according to their love. If, if they, being flawed, people who are limited in their love towards you, um, have a desire to give good gifts, uh, how much more would a perfect God who is love, who created human beings, who created fathers, who's, who's you know, the perfect image of what it looks like to be a true father, um, how much more would he be able and be willing to give good things to people who are willing to ask. Um, and so the, the privilege, part of, that, part of that privilege is the fact that, as we're going to see in a minute, being a Christian, you have this unique um, standing to, to the point where uh, you not only have certainty when you are um, making requests to God, but you also um, have even more assurance that the things that you could receive from God are going to be exceedingly greater than anything else you could receive in this world from even earthly fathers. Um, so this is a high, high bar that Jesus says, how much more um, would your father who is in heaven, who's a heavenly father, how much more, how great would his gifts be to you if your gifts as earthly fathers are, you know, to some extent good? Another uh, thing we see here about this privilege, another characteristic, is... Um, really the language that Jesus uses in verse 11 with father. So this is not the first time Jesus has introduced us to the uh, concept of relating to God as a father. We covered the uh, Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago, and Jesus starts the prayer with, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he continues this theme, even though the disciples potentially at this point didn't really fully understand what he was talking about, was actually showing them that in light of his ministry, in light of who, what he has come to do, um, your relationship 
to God as a disciple of Jesus changes. It changes from just a man to God or a servant to a master, but this son to father relationship, which if you think about what that means, there's a few things I think that, that tells us about um, kind of the, the grounds we have for, ask, for asking things from God if he is our father. First of all, when it talks about father, one thing you think about is, is access when, when he uses the father language. That's definitely a characteristic. And a good example of this I've heard is, you know, really, you take the president of the United States, right? Very important person, very important guy, very busy, has a lot of things on his schedule. Um, but let's say, hypothetically, he had a younger daughter. Um, he might even have a daughter, but I don't know if she's, she's that young. Um, say he has a younger daughter. The daughter, right, let's say, is the only, one of the only people in his life who can come into the, the middle of his bedroom at 3 a.m. and say, Daddy, I am thirsty. I'm hungry. Give me a drink. Give me, give me, give me something. And she has the right to do that. She has a right. It's not just that she, you know, um, can in a, in, a, in a general sense, but there's actually a, a legal binding there that because of the relationship she has with him, regardless of his title, being the President of the United States, she has that kind of access. Um, and that really, I think, is what Jesus, part of what Jesus is drawing out here for us is when you think about your relationship to God um, and you think about how great this privilege is that we have, um, think about it being a privilege because of the amount of access we have to the king of the universe. The second thing you see with the father uh, metaphor is grace, actually. So father to child metaphor brings out the concept of grace, meaning it brings out love that's undeserved or not based on performance. Um, and this is important to think about because part of the reason we, I think, have motivation to you know, take advantage of this privilege that we have to pray to our Father. Uh, it is by seeing the amount of grace that he has shown us to give us that kind of access. Um, also, it's based on grace because in a lot of ways, a father and a child, a child really can't repay the father for much of their life. You know, they grew up zero to five, maybe at 15 they have a job and they can start paying back, you know, what they gave to their parent. But by and large, the, the parent is... Uh, giving, 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 and the child is only receiving. Um, and that's another characteristic of our relationship to our Heavenly Father is uh, it's totally based on, on grace. Thirdly, you also see this characteristic is abundance. There is an abundance to the um, relationship we have to our Heavenly Father if you're a Christian uh, that can, is, is related to this privilege. And the abundance comes in caring for holistic needs. When you're, when you're a parent, you are um, caring for the child's physical needs, the mental needs, the, the trips to daycare, whatever it is. All that together is your responsibility. And so what Jesus highlighting here by saying uh, we have a father in heaven, he is bringing out the abundance of the care that our father can have for us and does have for us uh, because of... Um, Jesus. Now, those are, so those are some characteristics about the privilege, um, which really is, is more of just a something to bask in. You know, it's not really a to-do, per se. Not, we haven't gotten to that part of the sermon yet, um, but it's just something to bask in. It's, it's, if you see the privilege you have to an extent and how great that relationship um, or dynamic is, just the, the sheer 
um, beauty of it, there isn't a lot of ways it does compel us, I think, to engage in that relationship if you see how beautiful and how amazing um, the setup is, how, how amazing the, the uh, uh, access is that we have. So basking in that, that's, that's the takeaway from point one, is think about the privilege that you have um, in coming to your Heavenly Father with petitions, because how much more was, would he be willing to give you good things um, if you ask for them? Second point, though, even in light of that, that's very positive. Now, the second point, though, is that there are some problems with um, asking that come up with regards to asking things from God or petitioning. Um, one of them is actually presented very clearly in this, in this passage. Um, if you caught it, Jesus in verse 11, um, you know, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more your father give good things. And some, a lot of commentators have called this a drive-by statement from Jesus. You know, he's just talking, and then he just throws this out there. And he's like, by the way, you're evil. <laughs> and in a way, you know, it's kind of, maybe you could see it as comedic. But I don't take, I, I think what Jesus is saying is very, very plain to them. It's actually so matter-of-fact. It's interesting. I think you notice how matter-of-fact Jesus says it. Um, shows you almost the... the uh, universality of his understanding of human nature, in a way, is that human nature is, from a Christian perspective, corrupt, that it's broken, that it's, that it's sinful. And this does present a problem. It presents a problem for us um, because we have a lot of passages throughout the Bible, um, if you've read any part of the Bible, that talk about how our access to God is hindered by our sinfulness, that God made a perfect world and he made human beings to be with him and have complete access to him at the start, but human beings chose to live for themselves, live for other things, put their trust in what God had made instead of putting their trust in God, and that relationship was severed, and now there's this doubt and there's this gap that's been made between um, our just ability to ask God for things, but also even our, our belief that he actually would care if we brought <clears throat> our petitions to him. Um, or that if he doesn't answer particular requests, that he still cares, that he still loves us. There is this doubt implicit in the human race that we all wrestle with. Even if you're not a believer, there's still this fog, at least probably, for the concept of God in terms of how much he would want to be involved in your life and care about the petitions that you bring him. And that is all what the Bible says is a result due to sin, due to the fact that what Jesus lays out here in saying we are evil. Um, and it, it does present other questions as well. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we reference this. You know, Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And it seems on the surface as if he's saying, well, if you are, uh, if you, if you are not perfect, if you're not forgiving, um, in some way it does affect the Father's um, relationship to you to some extent. Now, of course, we talked about the Father's relationship to us being his grace um, initially, but it still remains the question of how can that be? How can there be a relationship of grace in light of the fact that God is holy, in light of the fact that he is perfect, um, in light of the fact that we are not just flawed or uh, make mistakes, but that Jesus calls us evil. And that word evil is used multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount, 
it's used when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, you know, when he's talking about um, giving to needy um, or relationships with people. Uh, it's used uh, several other places when Jesus is actually using it as, as a word that describes someone who would be outside the people of God, that potentially wouldn't be a believer or wouldn't be a, a disciple. Um, so it's odd. It's, it's just an odd presentation that, on the one hand, he's saying, well, your Father in heaven will be good, good, give good things to you if you pray and you, you're a person who asks. But on the other hand, what about this evil part? <laughs> what about this, this sinful part? Um, so that's the first problem. The second problem that we see comes up a lot is how do we understand unanswered requests? Um, you know, you read this passage, uh, at least personally I do, and initially you, you do want to feel like, oh, well, is Jesus talking about every request I give is going to be answered? And you think, well, probably not because I've asked something just very outlandish. It, you know, <laughs> probably certain things I could ask for God's not going to give. But if it's the true that he desires to give good things to us, how do we understand when those good things don't come or when they don't come in the way that we want them to come? Because um, that really affects our relationship in many ways. Um, produces doubt, can produce bitterness towards God if you're continually seeking, continually asking, and there's, there's, there's not a manifestation of exactly what you're asking for being presented to you. Um, so that's another, that's another big, uh, big problem. Part of this, I, I think Scripture says, does get answered, something like by 1 John. So in 1 John 5, we read John, one of Jesus' disciples, says, talking about Christians, talking about the church, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that is God, Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So there we have some clarification that it does potentially matter whether or not it's relative to God's will, that there are certain things uh, in which God, in assessing, um, does not give, does not provide, because it's not according to his will. Um, but even at that, why, why is it not according to his will? Why, not, why, why in those moments when we feel like it should be according to his will, um, is it not? And how do we process that as Christians? Um, one of the analogies, that the, or one of the, the things that the father analogy brings out, again here, really well, is with a parent and a child and requests. And anyone of you people out here who have children know this, that well, if you gave your child everything that they asked for, as one commenter said, the child would probably be dead before the day's out, if, depending on their age. You know, if, if you just gave the child, you know, going home today, the child's like, hey, can I drive? You know, can I drive the car? And you're like, yeah, I don't think so, right? Because there are consequences that come with that. Um, and in a lot of ways, that can explain the reasons for why God might withhold certain things, um, even in moments in which we think that he should not. Um, we, ha we do have to trust, that the call is to trust that God is loving and that God is good, um, and that because he's loving, he's seeking our goodwill, which means that in certain circumstances, it's not always our best uh, interest. He's seeking our well-being, not always our best interest to give us something that we want. Um, and that, 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 that could suffice, right? That could, that could be um, enough. But in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, it's not enough sometimes, even though we do know that love is not just you know, get, doing whatever anyone else says, but 
sometimes it requires opposition, sometimes it requires resistance. Um, but it raises the question then, how do we hold on to the fact that God is loving and caring still? Um, even when we don't believe it. We could know theologically that God is love and that therefore he doesn't give um, everything in the way that we want to because he has his higher purposes. Um, we can even know theologically or intellectually that our reward is in heaven, as Jesus said, that um, in the future, whatever we're asking for is gonna be fulfilled, our longings are gonna be fulfilled when we dwell in heaven or live amongst God. We can know that intellectually, know that theologically, and yet it still be difficult. Um, or, or not even believe it existentially at all. We could assent to that um, and mentally, but not necessarily have it as a living part of our life to where we're still walking in stride, not having any doubts about God's goodness in the midst of certain requests not being answered. Um, so, therefore, another therefore, how does that truth then become more existentially true of God's love and his care, despite how he might um, respond? Um, and I, I think that's where, you know, the gospel, the message of Christianity, really is unique in how it helps us overcome some of these questions and problems, both the problem of evil, the problem of our separation from God, but also the problem of um, doubt of God's love, doubt of God's goodness. Um, it, it helps us with both of those things. The first way it helps us, this is our third point, how to overcome problems, is the gospel, which is the good news about what Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done to bring us back to God, to reconcile us to God. That the gospel, first, it explains how we can still have access despite our evil nature. Um, the way it does that is, uh, in a way, it's simple. Um, Jesus says in John 16, this is another place, he says, at the end of his life, this is towards the end of his ministry, he's talking to his disciples again, and he is telling them that tough things are going to come, but you know what, you have access to God now, and when you go to God, he will hear you, he will receive you um, in the midst of these trials that you're about to face for being my followers. And he says, in that day, in the day in which he rises from the dead, he dies and resurrects, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And then we see Again, in Hebrews 4, the writer says, For we do not have a high priest that is a representative before God who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Put these two passages together and what's this saying? This is saying that the reason we can come to God and be fully confident that that barrier um, has been broken is because Jesus, uh, though he was the only one who asked things from God with a pure heart, he was the only one who was seeking and knocking and actually, you know, genuinely believing that God could do what he said he was going to do. Although he was only that person, he was the only man who ever did that, who ever lived, 
at the end of his life, yet he was uh, beaten, uh, mocked, um, tried, and nailed to a cross. And not just as a political punishment, but because he was taking the punishment um, that we deserve very often for not coming to God, even though we have this kind of access. For very often maybe bottling up our feelings and maybe not coming to him in prayer and petitioning. Or for coming to him and asking for things, but really deep down wanting some of those things maybe more than we actually want fellowship with him. All those, all those, those flaws that come with the way we ask and we seek and we knock, Jesus did none of those. Um, but we did, and that's why ultimately we don't deserve to have doors open. We don't deserve to have God's ear. We don't deserve to um, have that kind of access. But because Jesus died on the cross and took the punishment we deserve, the way has been made. As he says, the Father himself loves you. He loves you because you have loved me and I believe that I came from God. That's the basis. Simply because you acknowledge me, you accept me, you love me, the Father now sees you as his own child. He sees you as uh, basically the, the clothed with the perfect performance of Jesus. Um, and then he sees your sin put onto Jesus, and there's a complete exchange. And so now when God sees your requests, he sees a child running to him, per se, um, almost identical to his own son, who is the divine son of God. Um, which if you think about it that way, again, it makes point one, the privilege so much greater because then you realize, wow, this is how the father sees me. This is, this is the kind of relationship I could have dated, you know, on, on this earth. Of course, it won't be perfect. Of course, there's going to be moments in which I don't feel that kind of father-son relationship because of being still sinful. But that's possible now. That, that kind of access is possible now not just to receive help in times of need, like Hebrews says, but also to, and this is very important, have fellowship with God, have fellowship with the Father, which ultimately makes it easier for uh, us to endure when our requests are not being made. Um, if you think about that last point, you know, it, what are the challenges a lot of the times when our requests aren't being made? Part of, part of that challenge is we need a lot of the things that we're requesting, that we need them too much, that they become um, over-desires. And it's interesting that in James, uh, James chapter 4, James has that place, which many of you know if you're Christians, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. So there it is. You know, he pretty much says it plainly. He says, sometimes you don't, you don't have because you're not going to the Father, because you're not taking, you're not, you're not realizing the access that you have and the power and the grace that you have in your Father. But then he says, after that, he says, you have not because you ask not. But then when you do ask, you ask wrongly <laughs> to spend it on, and then he uses the word passions, which if you read the New Testament, the word passions is all over the place. It's the word epithumia in Greek, which basically means over-desire. Epi, you know, thumia is desire. Epi is, is a central thing, right? So getting back to the point about Jesus, very often what makes it difficult for us to endure um, in the midst of our requests not being answered, is the fact that we have these passions, we have these over-desires, and at the root, we're coming to God, but not primarily coming to him first, um, but instead still very much attached to some of those things we're asking for. Even though we might theologically, intellectually know that, yes, the Father, God, is greater than these things, I, I get that, inside, in the heart, 
there is still, um, there's still an attachment. There's still a drive. And ultimately, because of that, um, that, makes, that makes our asking, our seeking, our knocking flawed. It creates that barrier. But the gospel, through Jesus' death, takes that away, even despite the fact that we still come to God um, imperfectly. We still come to him with those uh, ulterior motives, so to speak. Um, but he hears us simply because of the fact that we love Jesus and believe in him. We believe that he came and he stands in our place, uh, which is amazing. Uh, but there is a, a second way, and this is the closing, um, in which the gospel helps us overcome some of these barriers when it comes to petitioning. The first one I mentioned was that it, it uh, explains how we can have access. It removes the barrier, the, the chasm between us and God because of us being evil, because of our sin. Um, but also, the gospel not only it gives us a removal of a barrier, so it doesn't, always, it doesn't just provide solution for salvation or, or, or forgiveness, but it, uh, it gives us a power, it gives us a power that actually changes and grows our view of the Father that we have in heaven. How does it do that? Well, uh, it's in, it is telling that Jesus does say, your Father in heaven, actually in the parallel passage, he has this, there's, this is in Luke as well. In Luke chapter 11, which you can read, he says the same thing, um, almost verbatim, but he says, instead he calls him the heavenly father. Um, and then at the end, instead of saying, you know, how much more will your father who is in heaven or heavenly father give good things to those who ask him, he says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So if you're following me, <laughs> in the parallel passage, which might have been another place in which Jesus taught this, uh, he not only calls God the Heavenly Father, but he also primarily says, how much more will the Father give you his spirit? And what does this all mean? Well, it, I think Jesus is getting at here by highlighting the spirit and by calling the Father heavenly. What he's saying is, is that in order for you to want to even come to God and seek and ask and knock in this way, you have to have a knowledge of this Father that is good. You have to, have, you have to believe he's heavenly. Um, and you also have to believe that he's worth fellowshipping with because he says, you know, the, the ultimate prize is, is the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. How does the gospel change our view? Well, the first way it does <laughs> um, is it shows us the character of God, the beauty of God, in the fact that God, through Jesus, who is the image of the Father, he's the perfect image of the Father, according to what Hebrews 1 says, God was willing to take on human flesh, go to, not only just go to the cross, but even before that, endure tons of requests throughout his entire life. If you read the New Testament accounts, people are coming to Jesus a lot with petitions. And a lot of the times he's answering them graciously. But not only that, eventually gets to the point of end of his life and he lays down his life, he gives, he gives up his life, and in doing so, he gave up, so to speak, his privilege to ask God <laughs> in a way on the cross. And if you remember when Jesus is dying on the cross, you know, there's a crowd around him and they're mocking him. And they say, um, you know, uh, he saved others. Why won't he save himself? And then they say, why doesn't 
the king of Israel ask God to come deliver him? Why doesn't he ask God? Why doesn't he, if he's the Messiah, if he's the Christ, ask. Ask God to come take this away. And what's the answer? Why didn't Jesus ask? Well, he didn't ask because at that moment, he was foregoing that privilege, laying it down, in order to secure the privilege that we have, to have not only good things from the Father, but ultimately life itself. And if you see the fact that God was willing to do that for you, that it's not so much this abstract deity up here who's saying, yes, I'm good and I'm great and you, know, you should trust me when you come to me for, for requests. But if you see that he was willing to suffer and forego even his privilege to ask, seek, and knock so that you could have yours, then it actually turns more so God into someone who is heavenly. It, instead of just being an abstract, oh, well, I know if the Father's in heaven, now it's I actually treasure him. I actually see the beauty. I see the beauty of this Father who I'm coming to. Um, and not only will that shape, obviously it shapes our God's character, but it'll also change our loves, which does solve the problem to an extent of why it's so hard for us to endure not receiving answers from God because of our attachment to other things. Well, if you see Jesus dying for you, if you see his love is so great, it doesn't, it, nothing else would compare in this world to that, um, then it reorients our loves towards him and to actually only needing him, to only, really we could come to God and be like, yeah, it'd be great if I was married, it'd be great if my children got into great schools, it'd be great if, you know, um, I got into seminary, <laughs> got into grad school. But you know what? Ultimately, it's okay if this doesn't come through or if the response is not what I want because I have all that I need. And the only way I think, the only true way that gets deep enough into that, that heart change is by seeing what Jesus did and seeing the beauty of it to the point where it leads to that love. It leads to that worship. Um, you know, lastly, it does grow our trust as well. Um, you know that, that verse in Hebrews, we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Um, I, can, I think it's easier to trust a God who might be more silent in an issue, even though he's not really silent, but maybe more silent on something I'm praying about. Um, if I see, well, ultimately it can't be because he doesn't care. It can't be because he doesn't love me. Um, how could he not love me? How could he not care for me if he was willing to endure what he did. Um, he gave up his life. How much more could you go for someone when it comes to um, seeking their good? And so that, to me, is the power of the gospel to cut through a lot of our doubts and unbelief and grow our trust, even in the moments when we don't have a clear answer um, in the things we're petitioning about. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Amen.